Welcome to the Airborne Youth Podcast. Today you'll be hearing a message from a guest speaker. That's crazy, man. I did not even remember that that happening. That's that's always fun. So, wow, how are you guys? Good? Look good? Was enjoying uh, the worship and especially the intercession. How many of you were in there for the for the pre-service intercession prayer? I don't see, recognize a couple people. Um, that's always fun, you know. When you go places so much and you're ministering so often, you get a pretty diverse uh, crowd. Different places you go, not everyone has the same amount of hunger uh, that you guys have. So that was just encouraging, you know. Some places. Uh, even recently, uh, you know, being some places, you kind of look around and you guys know the story of Ezekiel and the dry bones. It's like, where's Ezekiel when you need him? Like, this is kind of dead in here. We got to get some prophesy some of these bones to come to life. And I'm just, I'm loving watching you guys that, uh, there's so much zealousy for the kingdom. It's just incredible. Jesus movement. Wow. So you guys can open up to John six and, and you're like me, if you've got your iPads, Bibles, whatever you, we've got. We'll jump into John 6 in just a moment. So I think I've got about uh, 25 to, to 30 minutes. I'm going to try to, it's going to be uh, maybe some stuff coming kind of fast. I may say some names of some people you guys might not know. So just uh, if this is recorded or any sort of way, if you're taking notes, maybe write some of these guys down in a bit and research their lives uh, later. So... Uh, since we don't have a lot of time, I don't think I'm going to be able to do too much prophetic stuff in the beginning. Many of you guys love prophecy, right? It's always fun. So I think I've only got time to do one of these. So uh, the way the way this really works a lot of times is you get stuff. It's like treasure hunting, right? You're getting little things. You're looking for identifiers with people. So uh, when I was in prayer, I had the name Hannah. Now there's probably because it's a com- it's a pretty common name. My sister's name's Hannah. It's probably a couple Hannahs, but if, if this is the Hannah, it's something to do with you. You used to be a nanny, or you are a nanny, or something with nannying. If there's right here, okay, wow. So are you are you a nanny now? No, I used to be a nanny, and your name's Hannah. All right. Well, the second part of this. Uh, that's funny that see, this is going to seem very unprophetic now because it's about worship. Uh, but if you, Hannah, could you just stand up? So what I heard the Lord say is, uh, yeah, we just, let me just bless you. Lord, thank you for her. So what I heard the Lord say is, I am establishing in my daughter, Hannah, the spirit of Asaph, son of Benakiah. And you're going to be known as a prophetic psalmist that the word of the Lord is going to flow through your mouth. He's actually, your life has been a whirlwind. You've been established already amongst uh, people in the prayer movement. I think not just here, but I see I hop around you and uh, things like Sean, Sean Foyt stuff and things like that. Lord's already established you in your life amongst a company of prophets. But now he's saying it's your turn. The Lord's going to send you and establish you to be a forerunner to uh, to uh, that anointing of Asaph. You know, his psalms are called the Psalms of Elohim. He was one of three that were chosen by David specifically to lead the other musicians in worship directly of, of, of glorification of Yahweh. And, and uh, many believe he was a seer as, as well. And so there's this anointing that you're going to bridge the gap between the prophetic and worship and bring a, a healthy, strong, powerful, bold, courageous flow to it that many have been uh, in a place of timidity to step into. And the Lord's going to use you to break barriers with that, Hannah. So I just bless you in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. 
Thank you, God. I've got uh, one more name here, and I actually didn't hear any prophecy related to it. So just make sure you come to me at the end of this thing so I can pray for you. And uh, if your name's Lydia, I got the name Lydia. There's a Lydia right there. All right. Like I said, I didn't hear anything else. So come at the end of this thing. Just make sure we, we connect a little bit. So we are going to get into uh, the Bible here. That's always good. You guys there, John 6? Right? Everyone's like, oh, no, I'm not really there. So I'm just, I'm just going to start. Uh, I'll start at verse 1. We'll go down. I think we're going to go to probably verse 15. So, verse 1, John 6. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the lake of Tiberias, which is also known as Lake Galilee. And a massive crowd of people followed him everywhere. They were attracted by his miracles and the healings they watched him perform. Jesus went up the slope of a hill and sat down with his disciples. Now it was approaching the time of the Jewish celebration of Passover. There were many pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem in the crowd. As Jesus sat down, he looked out and saw the massive crowd of people scrambling up the hill, for they wanted to be near him. So he turned to Philip and said, Where will we buy enough food to feed all these people? Now Jesus already knew what he was about to do, but he said this to stretch Philip's faith. Philip answered, well, if I, suppose, I, I suppose if we were uh, to give everyone only a snack, it would cost thousands of dollars to buy enough food. Just then, Andrew, Peter's brother, spoke up and said, look, here's a young person with five barley loaves and two small fish. Remember that, five. Uh, so how far would that go to feed this huge crowd? In verse 10, Jesus says, have everyone sit down. So on the vast grassy slope, more than 5,000 hungry people sat down. Jesus then took the barley loaves and the fish, gave thanks to God. He then gave it to the disciples to distribute to the people. Miraculously, the food multiplied with everyone eating as much as they wanted. When everyone was satisfied, Jesus told his disciples, Now go back and gather up the pieces left over so that nothing will be wasted. The disciples filled up 12 baskets of fragments, a basket of leftovers for each disciple. So you guys would probably think this is interesting. This doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the message, but it's just fun. Fun fact, uh, that word basket, it's not an offering basket. It's the same word in the original language that's used when Paul, the apostle, he escapes death because they lower him down the side of a wall in a basket. So it's a basket large enough to literally hide someone like my size inside this basket. That's how much abundance Jesus created. <clears throat> 14, all the people were astounded as they saw their own, with their own eyes the incredible miracle Jesus had performed. They began to say among themselves, he really is the one, the true prophet we've been expecting. So Jesus, knowing they were about to take him and make him their king by force, quickly left and went up the mountainside alone. So you guys remember... I told you remember five. I told you that for a reason, because there's this story which we normally call feeding of the 5,000, right? How many of you have heard this before? I already read this. Pretty familiar with that. So we call it feeding of the 5,000, uh, but actually it was about three times that amount. It was more like the feeding of 15,000, because uh, the way they would count people, they only counted men. They would not count the women. They wouldn't count the children. So with their families, uh, probably closer to about 15,000 people were fed, starting with five loaves. Now, there's a second story. Many people will get them confused, think there's, they are the same story uh, that happens probably just about a month or so later in the life of Jesus, uh, scholars believe, where there's 4,000 families that are fed this time rather than 5,000. And what's really interesting there is in this time when he feeds 4,000 families, he starts with seven loaves of bread. With feeding the 5,000, he starts with five. So I, 
really, I was wrestling with that in my heart. You ever read things in the Bible, for whatever reason, something uh, seems, may not even seem to have any special quality to it, but something about it just really latches onto you, and you can't shake it. You ever have that, just have things, you're kind of wrestling over it in the Bible. And so I, I just began to uh, be in that place, and, and, and uh, probably about a year ago now, praying through those two stories. Because what doesn't make sense, you know, Jesus tends to do things that really don't make any sense. He tends to really go against the natural, go against the grain. And so what he does that's counterintuitive to uh, human reasoning is he starts with less to feed the greater multitude of people. He starts with five for the greater number, starts with seven for the smaller number. Now, I would think you flip that. So as I was praying through this, I heard the Lord say, Brian, what I'm trying to show you through this is often the less I start with, the more I intend on doing. The less I start with, the more I intend on doing. And so I think we don't have too much time tonight, but really that's the message I want to bring to us is that you cannot determine your interior capacity. You, you can't let your background, whatever, uh, if, you know, if you're saying, oh, from the wrong pedigree, born on the wrong side of the tracks, what can God do with my life? You can't determine where he will take you, the level of favor he's going to release on your life, the level of influence he's going to give you, uh, the things you're dreaming for. Many of us need to start dreaming bigger because you cannot determine where the Lord is going to send you in your life based off of what you have right now. You can't do that. And I believe that we're in an, I, I believe in Isaiah 60 one time. How many of you know that scripture? I believe unlike never before, we're, we're living in the reality of that being manifested, that revelation coming forth like never before in the earth. Isaiah 60 one says, arise and shine. Your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Darkness, deep darkness covers the people, but the Lord has risen upon you and nations will come to you and kings to the brightness of your rising. So the prerequisite for the earth being flooded, as it says again in Habakkuk 2.14, with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, with nations flocking to Jesus, is that you would rise up. I believe we're in the reality of that. What happens is when God is establishing a truth, the enemy comes in the opposite spirit. So he doesn't just come and, and the devil is strategic. That's why we're warned, don't be ignorant of the enemy's devices, that he goes about imitating the lion of Judah. He goes about uh, pretending to be a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's strategic. So when God releases a truth, he comes in opposition to that revelation. So because of the fact that we're living in this reality of our rising up, what's happening right now is the war of the enemy to suppress your voice. And he does it, I believe, primarily with this area of unworthiness. Which is where I want to make that connection here. It's this unworthiness. It's this saying, what I have in me, where I'm from, my gift mix, my, my possessions, it is not enough for God to do something with it. And Jesus completely dismantles that lie. And we see the Father all throughout Scripture actually scanning over all the qualified, picking the least likely and saying, bam, yeah, that's who I'm going to use. Again and again and again. You see it with Gideon who... who the angel of the Lord is sent to him. And what does he say? I mean, if you know Gideon's story, he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He calls him a man of valor. And he's a coward. He's hiding out. He's, he's trembling, afraid to be seen. 
threshing wheat. And God sends the angel to him to declare him a man of valor, a man of bravery. And then the Lord picks Gideon in his state of weakness. He actually tells God, he tells the angel, listen, I know you're saying this to me and all that, but I think you really don't understand where I'm from. See, I'm from the wimpiest tribe here. And in the wimpiest tribe, I'm the wimpiest guy. I'm the worst one, and God picks him and uses him with a band of 300 men. Have you seen the movie 300, anybody? Probably one of the guys in here, like, yeah. You've seen 300? This is the original 300. Gideon. God uses him to conquer 135,000 Midianites from his state of weakness. And that still today is considered the greatest victory in the history of Israel. That God would choose Gideon. He does this again and again. He chooses people like Esther to bring about the liberation of Israel, the liberation of the Jewish people, saves the nation of Israel from the genocidal plot of Haman to extinguish and exterminate all of the Jewish people. She wasn't qualified by her own standards. She wasn't of noble birth. She wasn't a Persian. But God saw in her the willingness to be a voice, and he could use that. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord are roaming all throughout the earth looking for ones he can show himself strong through. And the second part of that verse gives the one qualifier for you to have a part to play in that. It says he's looking for hearts that are surrendered to him. He's looking for hearts that are turned towards him. So we place all of these limitations on our qualification that God never places. You don't find Jesus saying, oh, if you only got your act together a little bit more, if you were only from this place, from this nationality, from this type of family, from this, if you only, if you only did this a little better, then I could use you. You never find him doing that. You find him going to people like Matthew, a tax collector, who they were considered the scum of the earth, and Jesus goes to him and picks him, leave it behind, follow me. That's what the Lord does. He uses people like Abraham to give birth to a promise that from him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Well, the problem is Abraham's 100 years old. How are you going to have a baby at 100 years old? That's what he does again and again. He uses people like William Seymour, as I said, some of these names you may not... Be familiar with some of these people. I want to, really want to encourage you. Look up these guys. Read about them. Study their lives. It's so encouraging to see again. and It, it encourages me to know in my weakest state, his strength is perfected. And he picks people like William Seymour, who was born in, uh, in immense poverty in Louisiana, the son of slaves. His family's possessions were valued at 55 cents. Supreme poverty. As I said, his parents were slaves. He's growing up uh, experiencing all of, all of the struggles of racism, of the bigotry, of the hatred. He meets a man named Charles Parham, wants to start attending Bible school, but there's so much racism and segregation that they don't even allow him a seat in the class. So he has to learn the Bible listening through a window. Loses an eye through... Smallpox with no medication then to deal with it nearly killed him. Nothing about him in the natural sets him up for success whatsoever. And God uses him as a catalyst, starting on Bonnie Bray Sheet and moving into Azusa for the Azusa outpouring. Chooses, he chooses people like Charles Finney, 
who many of us know as this incredible revivalist, but most of us don't know about Finney, that he didn't start out that way. He wasn't, he wasn't a great leader in the church. He was just a lawyer. And he had such little faith, he was embarrassed to even be seen praying in the woods. In his autobiography, he writes that he was embarrassed and ashamed that someone would even catch him in prayer. That's the place Finney started out with until the Holy Spirit met him. These are the people that God uses. He uses us. That's just fascinating to me that I can look back throughout my life and see every time I've blown it, every time I've missed it. And he sees that and he sees every time I'm going to blow it and he still uses me. I just think it's incredible that the Lord does this. I love reminding myself of that truth. Even with his own son that they expected to be born in the capital of Jerusalem, he sent to a manger in Bethlehem. It's prophesied in Micah 5.2. He says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come the deliverer of Israel. Zechariah 12.8 says, In that day, referring to... The outpouring of the Spirit, it says, the most feeble among you will be like David. The weakest among you will be as mighty as King David. And those like David will be like God. It's just incredible. Even in your weakest state, he uses you. I'm going to tell you guys, I'll I'll end with a story and then we'll just move into some ministry. I think the Holy Spirit's going to encounter us in a powerful way tonight. But I will tell you guys a story that ties in, uh, I believe, really well with this whole area of God using you despite your weakness. How many of you have uh, seen Randy Clark? Know Randy Clark? Have had him here at Life Center? Yep, yep. Most of you familiar with Randy. So uh, I had the privilege of traveling around the world with him uh, before uh, doing this. I, I was his intern and uh, from... Around the summer of uh, 2017 into May 2018, or, or uh, about a year, I traveled all around the world with him. And uh, it's an amazing thing, but it's exhausting. Absolutely exhausting. There are times I would want to check Randy to like see if he had a, a robotic switch like under a flap on the back of his neck or something, because the guy's energy is unreal. I'll tell you guys something. He's 67 years old, Randy is, and he beat me at a push-up contest. He did over 100. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. So it's exhausting. You're going, you're running hardcore, you're, doing, you're traveling. One time we had three trips to Europe, back to back. Go to Europe, come back for three days, go to Europe again. So it's exhausting. And so I got done helping him with an event, which is very close to here, uh, the Global Awakening Headquarters. If you haven't been there in uh, Mechanicsburg, he was having a conference there. I got done helping him get home, going to put my key in the door. And I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, walk across the street to this sandwich shop. And I said, no. Now, I am exhausted here. I'm like... I'm getting ready to go upstairs and crash for about 24 hours. So tired. I mean, this was a level of tiredness I did not know was possible until the next trip with him. I mean, dead. 
like you guys, you guys know what it's like. You're in, you're in this, you're just, I mean, you know, those times when you're just like, you know, I, 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 sometimes you can get a feeling like if Jesus himself were here, I, I would probably want to go to sleep. They're that tired. So I told the Lord, no. And he said it again, walk across the street to the sandwich shop. No, God, do it. No, do it. No, do it. No, back and forth, probably five minutes. He says it again, Brian, walk across the street to the sandwich shop. I said no, and then it was dead silent. If you ever have that, that's when you know, move into obedience. So I turned around, walked across the street, very begrudgingly, not interceding, complaining the whole way, complaining, complaining, complaining. Get over there. I know the hours of the place because I would go there all the time. It's right across from where I lived. I knew they were closed. I'm thinking, what am I doing here? All of a sudden, right next to this place in Harrisburg is a bar that is actually an LGBT bar. And these six guys come stumbling out. They're not drunk on the Holy Spirit. They're completely wasted. They stumble out of there. And uh, I'm just thinking, all right, no eye contact. And I'm thinking, well, Lord, I did what you told me to do. I walked across the street to the sandwich shop. It's closed. I'm going home. Turn around. Start to walk back, and I hear this. Hey, pretty boy. Hey, cutie. <laughs> Woo! This way. And I, like, literally, I drop my head into my hands. I start going, oh, God. No, Lord, No start trying to justify it. I said, God, I've been serving Randy and uh, so well. I've been doing this. How could you do this to me? Send me to a sandwich shop at 1230 at night and they're closed. And now you have these six men hitting on me. It's nearly 1 a.m. I want to be in bed. Complaining, complaining, complaining. I turned around. I had no plans of saying this. I'm sure you guys have had teaching about words of knowledge and things like that. Sometimes they come when they just come like if you've ever been in a in a argument with somebody and you just spurt something out you didn't plan to say they come like that you can just say them and I turned around and I started a conversation with these guys so this day I don't know why I did but I said did you guys have a good time at the bar they said yeah we had a great blank blank time I'm not going to fill in the blanks <laughs> had a great time and I looked at the biggest guy there it shot out of my mouth I said how many shots did you have to have until the pain in your all five went away L5 disc in the back. How many shots of alcohol did you have to have before the pain in your L5 went away? And yeah, that's how I felt. It's like, I didn't even plan to say that, God. It's like slow motion. You want to stuff it all back in your mouth. And so then I'm thinking, I'm about to get punched in the face. And they're so drunk that he literally just answers casually. So he goes, oh, it, it just, it didn't click in his brain. There's no way he would know that. So he just says, well, I usually have to have about seven or eight, and um, this time it didn't work, and my medication's been cut off, and this, and he's going on this thing. All of a sudden, with one of his friends, he catches on, and he goes, hold on a second, man. He wouldn't know that about you. And they're all like, they freak out. Where are, you, are you a cop? What's going on? You get this. That's probably cop and, and psychic are the two things you'll get the most. And so they think I'm a cop, and they're all freaking out. I don't know what to say to defend myself. I open my mouth. All of a sudden, again, just sovereignly, God just drops 
words for these guys, one after the other after the other. One of them's uh, knee or ankle will get sealed. And the strongest was I looked at one of them and I said, you're not even a homosexual. You're just lonely. This is the only people group you've come into that you thought you would find acceptance. And he breaks down bawling in front of all of them. And I got to pray for all of them and have them pray for each other to lead them to Jesus and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Out. Yeah. It's crazy. And that's just one of, that's my, personally, my favorite story. But I can't tell you how many times I've seen things like this again and again and again and again and again. And it's the most encouraging aspect is it's not in mountaintop moments. I was not a man of great faith. I was complaining. You guys know Danny Silk and Keep Your Love On wasn't keeping my love on. God still did it. His strength is perfected in the midst of your weakness. I'm not saying, I'm not bringing this to undermine the importance of faith, undermine the importance of keeping your love on. But I am wanting to say, many times I think we place a greater emphasis on the size of our faith rather than the size of the the God we have faith in. Even when you feel like I have absolutely nothing to give, his well never runs dry. So let's do this. Let's just stand up. I really felt this was important to just speak briefly on and encourage you guys in that because I think the Holy Spirit's going to touch you. And uh, I think that we need to... As he's, as he's touching us and, and, and filling us and we're pouring out, we need to be reminded and continually aware of the fact that it's everything to do with him and nothing to do with us. That it's his grace. You know, the, the song was singing about the waves, and I, th- I think it was Ben was talking about the, the disciples being out on the water. When you know, you know the story of Peter walking on the water. Something happens before that. Jesus bids him come. Peter didn't just walk on the water. Peter walked on the word come. He actually was walked on that revelation of Jesus because connected to that word from the Lord was a grace, which we usually understand in the terms of forgiveness of sins, but grace is also operational power. So that means when Jesus declares something to you, grace enables you to become what grace says you are. It's not about you. It's everything about him. It's his power working through you. This podcast was recorded live at our Wednesday night youth meeting. To find out more, visit airborneyouth.com.